Hi, I'm David Legere of Woodhall Press, and you're tuned in to Publish This Over Lunch. I'm joined today by Gina Barreca and Nicole Caterino, editors of the upcoming Fast Funny Women, on sale October 2020, wherever books are sold. Uh, now here comes the bios. Gina is the author of 10 books, including If You Lean In, Will Men Just Look Down Your Blouse? Uh, it's Not That I'm bet uh, Bitter, Babes in Boyland, A Personal History of Coeducation in the Ivy League, and the best-selling, they used to call me Snow White, but I drifted. Hailed as smart and funny by people, Gina was deemed a feminist humor maven by Ms. Her weekly columns are distributed by the Tribune Company, and she's written for most major publications, including the New York Times, the Chronicle of Higher Education, Cosmopolitan, and the Harvard Business Review. For more information, visit her at ginabracca.com. Nicole Caterino is a sophomore English major with a concentration in creative writing at the University of Connecticut. Fast Funny Women is the first publication of her writing. <laughs> All right, Gina, Nicole, would you tell us what Fast Funny Women is about and uh, what drew you to this project? Can I take it away? Okay. Well, David, you know, Dave, it was really your idea. <laughs> what drew me to this project was talking to you about um, the series of books that Woodhall Press has done about flash, flash fiction and flash funny nonfiction. And we were discussing the idea, because I'm in, I had the good fortune to be in the flash, funny, nonfiction, right? Yes. So that came out years ago, I think. Yeah. That was the, yeah. and it was a terrific collection. And um, the idea of putting the best writers that I knew, uh, the women who have been, all the, the women writers that I knew, the best women writers that I knew, in one place. So to, and to line up, what was particularly interesting for me was the idea of lining up the prominent women writers. Um, uh, Faye Weldon, who I think we read in your class, Dave. We did, we did. Who is, <laughs> um, uh, has an, uh, uh, she's a dame of the British Empire. So she can, as she discusses in her essay, yeah. she actually has the right to wear a sword in the presence of the queen. Um, I've gotten a, a bunch of, I have a bunch of uh, awards that I've gotten, but I, I cannot sadly wear a sword in the presence. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. You know, I, I really am. Um, and, and Marge Piercy, do you, oh, you have a sword? <laughs> I actually have a sword. <laughs> That was never part of, um, yeah, you don't travel with those. The TSA doesn't like those, right? That's not part of what you do. And um, he's really a very nice man to the people who are watching this. This is really, yeah, exactly. Um, but it's nice. The ferocity is there. Um, but I wanted to have a place where, so Faye Weldon, uh, Marge Piercy, who is one of the greatest American poets um, in the world. I, again, grew up reading Marge Piercy when I started writing uh, about women and humor and ferocity. Um, I was teaching Marge Piercy's poems. I was teaching her novels. She's a New York Times bestseller. She's in the Academy of American Poets. She is great. And Marge Piercy agreed to write. This is women who are writing new material just for this book. So Marge Piercy is there. Uh, Judge Judy is there. <laughs> Judge Judy. Uh, Nicole was quite <laughs> delighted. Judge Judy. My neighbor, um, as you know, Dave, we had Judge Judy sign a picture for you and one for your mom because you said your mom was a fan. How could you not yeah, be a fan of Judge right. Judy? 
<laughs> you wrote about growing up and my next door neighbor when I was a kid. So she's in there. Uh, we have Dawn Lundy Martin, who is also part of the Academy of American Poets. She was a former student. She was a student. She directs the creative writing program um, and the Black uh, American Writers Program at the University of Pittsburgh. I think I'm getting that right. She is, again, a star. And uh, But she was one of my undergraduates here at the University of Connecticut when I first started teaching. Um, we've got Susan Shapiro. We've got Pamela Katz, who's a screenwriter who wrote the Hannah Arendt movie. So we have there, uh, Liza Donnelly, who's a cartoonist for The New Yorker um, and a writer of, uh, about feminist humor. Mimi Pond, um, whose uh, graphic novel, yep. Over Easy, was a New York Times bestseller. And we have about 30 people who have never, like Nicole, like <laughs> who are publishing their first pieces, their first major pieces of humor in this collection. So we've got the women who are most powerful and known in women's humor up against the women who will be known for the next generation. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's an eclectic, mm -hmm. um, uh, 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 Darian Hughes. I mean, we have a woman writing about a middle-aged being um, a, a middle-aged Asian woman and what she goes through. I mean, there's genuine diversity. And we didn't have to, um, Nicole has helped me through the entire process. Mm -hmm. She's somebody who works with me in the office mm -hmm. as a student assistant and, um, and has done the heavy lifting. Oh, through the whole thing, and I'll <laughs> let her talk about what that was like for her. But um, the the collection is astonishing. I I didn't know it would be when you and I were talking about it, Dave, when you came into the office. No. I I didn't know it was going to be this amazing, and that almost everybody I approached, all of these prominent writers, and then all of these other sort of upcoming writers um, were uh, nervous because they were like, I'm gonna be in the company yeah. of these people. And they wrote some of the funniest stuff. So it's okay. a great amalgam. So Nicole, what was it like for you to be part of this as somebody starting out? Honestly, it was a whirlwind because it was just one of those things where like amongst getting hired and then starting my first year at UConn, it was like, oh, welcome to the project. You're now gonna be one of the main editors for this. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I've never done this before, let's just get it. And of course, Gina was like, I want you to write for it as well. So that was a whole new experience too, just putting my own writing out there. Honestly, it was some of the most fun and at the same time, the most stressful thing I've ever done, but more fun. <laughs> yeah. And that's what any yeah. kind of writing process is or mm -hmm. editing process. I mean, I've edited, I have, you know, 12 books or 17, depending on how you count them. Um, and so while it's my name as the editor, again, Nicole did uh, much of the work on getting the manuscript together, on making yeah. sure everybody's stuff was in on time. When you have yeah. 75 moving parts, <laughs> 75 busy women. We have Patty Russo, who's head of the Yale Campaign School for Women. We have Leanne Lord, who's an amazing stand-up comic, who, you know, is on the road all the time. She has her own podcast. She's doing everything. So Leanne is in there. We have to get pictures from everybody. We got bios mm. from everybody. Oh, geez, yeah. And it's really hard. It's like some people are like, I don't want to write a bio. I just like, get over it, right? <laughs> 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 and then people are writing bios of 300 words because they want to mm. like thank their relatives. I was like, this is not an Oscar. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can't thank your relatives in your bio. Just tell people where they can find your work, what you're doing. So uh, 
lot of former students, again, a lot of younger writers, a lot of writers who are emerging, but who are actually, you know, over 50. So, and from all over the country. Um, um, uh, uh, you know, we've got journalists from um, the UK who are in it, Juliet Ricks, um, who wrote a wonderful children's book. Um, I mean, we've got, again, people who are coming at it from all angles. Some of them are political, uh, Susan Campbell, who's a journalist and a columnist, um, mm -hmm. uh, wrote something about how uh, she has, during the most recent administration, um, binge watched right. um, West Wing and mm -hmm. what her life has been. Mm -hmm. And Nicole Hollander, one of the great cartoonists, uh, again, everybody knows Nicole from her um, uh, cartoon, Sylvia, the Sylvia cartoons, uh, which were syndicated across the country mm -hmm. for years. And there's a... a, a is part of a, a show that's coming out um, at, I think it's it's one of the big museums in Chicago next year that's mm. celebrating her work. And Nicole wrote about how she was binging on Ozark yeah. and <laughs> told her sister, deliberately told her sister the ending because she was mad <laughs> at her sister. So it's, it's talking about that. Stuff about tampons, yeah, um, losing them, finding them, needing them. Mm. So there's some <laughs> stuff, but there's also stuff about being, uh, Black in America by uh, Nyanka Kissy, who is, again, a former student who went to Medgar Edmonds uh, School in Brooklyn, grew up in Brooklyn, a different part of Brooklyn, and who now has her master's degree and is working in the city, who just got married. And she talks about um, her mother as an eater of men, right? right? Oh, oh, uh, so and it's so funny, good. but it gets it gets you in the throat. Mm -hmm. So this is something that you could, one of the nicest, best 750 words as the limit, and some of them are fewer words than that, but most of them are around seven, seven fifty. Is yeah. that um, it, uh, it? It forces the writers to get to the heart of the matter immediately, mm -hmm. and they do. So you can read this before bed, um, <laughs> by doing something else. Yeah. You can read it when you're upset. You can read it to, you know, to make you happy. You can read it to offer perspective. It is the perfect gift book for any woman that oh, you know man. is funny and for any man who needs to know <laughs> what, what women are really ah. it will be illuminating, shall we speak. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I also have to give uh, Nicole extra thanks because I've worked on a lot of these books over the years, these collections, and especially with all these moving pieces, this process was seamless, knock on wood. And I very rarely have, have come across that. There's always hiccups. There's always little little issues. and. It started seamlessly, even when I just went to Gina's office, when I had this idea, right? It was, I just was like, yeah. you know what? I would love to do something that makes the world happy, right? There's a lot of negativity. I wanted something that would make people laugh. And I thought, you, you immediately thought of Gina because I remember as an undergrad, her class, right? With everybody, all the students who are even watching right now, she's just so uh, inspirational and funny and captures that sense of uh, humor. Uh, in the classroom and in life, and humor being funny, right? It's uh, being thought of as a funny person. What does that even mean to you, right? Uh, you know, and as a humorist, you know, how does that, uh, what's the line between funny and not funny, right? Like, how do you define it so well? Um, I really think that most, any good humor, and especially, you know, my, mm -hmm. my ideas about when the difference between men and women's humor, which I've been writing about for 30 years, <laughs> um, is that women don't tell jokes. Women tell stories. Right. If you go up to a woman and she says, mm -hmm. I got something funny to tell you, if you're smart, you'll sit down. Because you're going <laughs> to be there a long, long time. Right? The guy says, I can tell you, he's 
going to say two blondes walk into a bar with a Dalmatian. I, I mean, you got bada bing, bada boom, you're done. A woman says, I got something to tell you. She's going to explain something that happened to her in her life because our lives are a riot. And too often, um, what we read, what we see represented in the media are not those things that actually make us laugh. Right. We walk into the ladies' room, we walk into the office, we sit down and go, okay, I was driving on 95 and I thought I need a cup of coffee. And But then I'm thinking, okay, but I'm taking estrogen and you're not supposed to have caffeine when you're taking estrogen and I'm taking estrogen through a patch and they should write something on those patches that have like... <laughs> Long in my heart, you know, and um, but and other women are coming up going, you shouldn't have have decaf. It's almost the same. And other women are coming going, have half decaf, half calf, because you need a caffeine is your last drug. It's your last bite. Other women are coming over going, I have coupons from Starbucks. I have coupons. My niece works there. She gave me. I don't. I only drink green tea. It cleanses. It cleanses. Meanwhile, some nice man is sitting there going. I thought you said there was something funny. What's funny? Yeah. Women are laughing hysterically. And men are sitting there going, I'm waiting for the funny. There was a funny. You said there was a funny part, right? And more women are coming over and we're laughing. And so um, the, the pieces that are in the book are these stories. But they're only limited to 750 <laughs> words. So it's okay. It's short. <laughs> but what, what I consider funny um, is something that tells the truth the real, the funny parts in life. And this really does go back to Aristotle. And this mm. goes back to Aristotle. Yeah. And this goes back to Lysistrata. I mean, this is not like a new piece of information, <laughs> right? Is that it tells the truth. Real humor deals with real stuff in life. And that's why mm. real humor, whether it's spoken, it's written, um, it's from the stage, it's performed gets to those taboo topics. Uh, real humor deals with money, with sex, with death, with disease, with depression, mm -hmm. with loneliness. It gets to those topics that we worry about in life mm -hmm. and that are often not you know, under discussion because people consider them too dangerous. They're flammable. But humor comes in and sets them on fire and it actually <laughs> illuminates, that, that fire illuminates everything. And so you get to look in the dark corners of our lives and what you see is not everybody miserable or angry. You see that everybody's laughing. Even those people you didn't think would laugh with you are actually laughing. And you have an enormous sense of community. And that's what I think the book does too, is to give us a sense of community. There will be my, you know, it's like a guarantee I want to offer. There will be at least 15 essays in this book that everybody, however wildly different their lives are, will get something out of. Because it will touch something where you're going to say, oh my God, I thought I was the only one who felt this way. And somebody in that book will have written an essay that you think mm -hmm. nobody else could have done except for you. And it'll make you feel part of a gang, part of a tribe, part of a group of insurgents in the world <laughs> that are actually having a good <laughs> So, you know, what, what I love about this idea of, uh, of communities, because that's what books like this are about, right? They're uh, bringing together writers of all ages, um, all backgrounds to come together and share in something. In this case, it's laughter. So it's that idea of, of all ages that I'm curious about. So, you know, what would you say, right, if you could have a conversation with your younger self right now, um, what would you tell yourself? And maybe, you know, what would you say? Sorry, Nicole, 
the youngest writer in the book. Mm. And the That's oldest true. writer <laughs> is 87. Yeah. So we have a <laughs> lot of, so Nicole, even you, however, mm. have things you'd like to say to your younger self. Oh, it's hard God, to yeah. imagine her as a younger self. Oh my goodness, yeah. I mean, I'm only 20, so <laughs> there's not much time between, I mean, I've only been around for two. But even so, um, oh my gosh, I would love to talk to my like 16, 17 year old self because I honestly, I don't even want to tell her anything because I know she just needs somebody to talk to. <laughs> like all I needed, all I, I know it's so sad, but it's so funny. Oh, it's so true. true. Um, all I needed when I was in high school was just somebody to talk to because I feel like everyone goes through that span mm -hmm. in high school where you think you yeah. are the only person in the entire world going through what you're going through and you're never going to make it on the other side or if you do make it you're not going to be the same and even for you know it can get as dark as like depression or even just as light as just like I don't think I'm going to survive these AP classes like and all I really needed was just somebody who I could relate to or somebody who knew that like what you're going through is normal you're okay everything's going to be fine and honestly when I was like 16 or 17 I had I wrote the most like I haven't had a burst of creativity that strong since I was about 16 or 17. So honestly, if I could talk to my 16 or 17 year old self, I'd get some ideas mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'd, I'd tell her to just keep writing. Even if you think, you know, Oh, you don't have the time because your grades like, God, please keep writing. Just write down some of those ideas. Cause you're going to lose them all by the time you're 20. I don't know. <laughs> I wanted to write because I didn't write them down. But yeah, I think I would just go back to just high school only a couple of years ago. I just talk. Oh my gosh. I just... <laughs> <laughs> one of the, one of the things. Um... But I think that that's what it's about. And I, I do think that the idea of having cross-generational, right. cross-cultural, mm -hmm. cross-classes. Mm. Um, we have a lot of people who came from very different backgrounds in this book. Mm -hmm. um, and, and who understand that. And who are going back and speaking in a way, to right. their younger mm -hmm. selves who are going back and, and look at them. But I think the idea of feeling like you're not the only one who's going through that experience, again, is mm -hmm. the most important part. I think I would also go back yeah. to my teenage self. I was, uh, I was very lonely and very sad, um, probably from ages, I don't know, like 11 to 18. Yeah. And that I also didn't think I felt ugly. I felt right. um, like I never fit in. I felt too loud. I always felt too much. Mm. Mm -hmm. too, much. Mm -hmm. too loud. I, my hair was too frizzy. My voice was right. like traffic. Um, I sounded like I was from Brooklyn. I said, and now those are all the things that I feel really good about. Right. I'm, really, I'm mm -hmm. not going to try to say aunt anymore. I say <laughs> and I said that in my classes. I don't know if you remember today, because for a while, I would say, I never write on the board. I always tell the students right away, I never write on the board because I learned growing up that you never turn your back on a crowd. Mm -hmm. So I just tell them, take this down. I, you're gonna take notes. I'll speak, you take this down. And <laughs> this is, you know, but I am not gonna try to be something I'm not. Right. And I think for those teenage years, those young adult years, mm -hmm. it was the idea that to be anybody that was acceptable, I was going to have to change everything about me and strap it down and change my right. face and change my hair and change my voice and change my way of thinking. And then I think once I got to college, um, I started to realize that it wasn't that everybody was better 
than I was, but that I could, I could make my own way and that my, both my tool and my weapon was going to be humor. Right. That I was going to say back to the idea of telling the truth. I was just going to repeat things that were said to me. <laughs> so that, again, I was one of the earliest classes of women at Dartmouth College, which is what Babes in Boyland is about. And um, so I just repeated stuff. So that at, in, at Dartmouth, where we had to go in those days, women were using diaphragms for birth control. <laughs> and we had to go to the health center on campus. And the health center on campus where women were going to get our birth control was called Dick's House. <laughs> so now I wanted to write that book as a novel, but I couldn't make up something that funny. <laughs> I mean, so you have these women with like, you know, perfect SATs going, where are you going for your diaphragm? Go to Dick's House. For my birth control, I mean, it was like no one had thought that was funny in like, you know, 100 years. And I, I mean, all you have to do is repeat it back. Half the time, all real satire is you just say something that's real and give it, mm -hmm. give it a little bit of space yeah. mm -hmm. around it. And it's hilarious. That's the best part. You just say back to somebody, do you hear what you just said? Right. And you give it a little... So it's perspective. So I would say that real humor comes from perspective. Right. And I think that that goes back to the question that you asked, Dave, about, you know, what version mm -hmm. of yourself would you go back to? That the younger versions, especially um, of um, uh, about when you are uh, unnerved as a kid and you don't know what this sort of conventional femininity mm. is like, and you think that that's the script you have to follow, um, that you have to realize that you get rid of all of that right. uh, because that's putting you in, in some kind of, it's worse than a corset or a girdle. Mm. It's sort of strapping in your head as you have to look. <laughs> and, and, and when we're allowed to do that, and I think, you know, by the way, that the straitjacket of masculinity is mm. as confining as the straitjacket of femininity. You guys have your own issues. <laughs> I understand that. It's fine. So, no. And, and I understand that we're speaking from a position of privilege and, you know, we can check off all the boxes. But having said that, it's perspective. Right. And mm -hmm. that look at how absurd the world is mm -hmm. and you get to say it back, then the world starts yeah. to laugh at itself. And if it laughs at itself and it sees the ridiculousness of it, then there are actual little changes that can happen because of that it'll understand even the systems and the structures and institutions, you know, mm -hmm. it, they could be overturned. Mark Twain said that against the tyranny of laughter, nothing can stand right. because Ooh. laughter is so effective. Such a great line. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And something um, I, it's, that's a good writing prompt in the classroom that kind of feeds off this is ask students, uh, to have a conversation with like their 10 year old self yeah. and with their 10 year old self think they're cool. Yeah. And it's like this idea, like, are you where you thought you were going to be at 10 years old? Are you like going after those dreams? Are you following through? Uh, and it's kind of an interesting, usually there's this like, you know, this kind of aha yeah. moment uh, and, on faces. So it's having that conversation with your younger self. But so now that you've gone through this uh, process of writing and career, how do you define literary success, right? You've built this career out of writing. Um, what's the definition for you? <laughs> there is no definition. Oh, oh boy, I'm <laughs> I think is my peak right. for literary success, honestly. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. 
I don't know if it's only for British citizens, but I, you can always. I'm gonna get there. We should all get a different. We should all get another pair. Um, um, I, I, I feel very lucky to uh, be able to write and to find that people uh, will respond to the writing. That's a great good fortune. I feel enormously privileged to be able to do that. I don't take it for granted. Um, even in the introduction where you're talking about uh, being a columnist, um, you know, I've been furloughed as everybody's had to deal with this COVID stuff. So the Hartford Current and therefore the Tribune has put me on a hiatus. So I'm waiting to come back. But meanwhile, I've been writing for Psychology Today. I've been writing for myself. I'm putting together this book on loneliness and creativity and how that works, because I think it's a, a big topic and I'd like to give, um, because I think that humor is, comes out of a lot of this, right? That humor comes out of needing to get to, again, those most intense places, right. the dangerous places. That humor is made by most people who consider themselves outsiders or outliers. Mm -hmm. That if uh, humor works, if you're uncomfortable, it should make you comfortable. And if you're comfortable, it should make you uncomfortable. Right. And all good writing should do that. Um, that's mm -hmm. what, that I think would be, I don't know, Dave, if you remember the exercises from the creative writing class that you were in. But the last thing that I always make people write is that letter to your later self. You know, I use that. I use that in the classroom. It's one of the most beneficial things I've ever done as a writer. I love that exercise. And it's so interesting to hear what people think about themselves, right? Mm -hmm. First of all, everybody, not for nothing, but everybody who's 22 thinks they're going to be dead by 45. That's why nobody, <laughs> right? Everybody's like, nah, I'm going to check out. I'm going to, it's like, no, honey, you're not, which is why you need to vote for elder care, you know? Right? <laughs> why? <laughs> not going to live fast and leave a beautiful course. Not if you're lucky. Right. You're going to actually have a life where at some point you want to get the state-funded <laughs> surgery for when you need a toe removed. Not that I'm speaking from personal experience. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, you want somebody to kick. So that, um, that to understand that your later self is actually wanting to right. look after you, mm -hmm. um, just right. as experience. Um, and you were, Nicole, you found it interesting. I, I just want to mention this and, and, you know, thinking about time. But one of the things that I think was interesting for you and going back and in the writing process, looking over everything that you wrote, you were even in the brief period of time between oh, writing yeah. it and doing the final edits when the final pages, the proof pages came in. Nicole oh, was like, I want to change everything. So and much. I was like, you can't, so you much. can't change. Because that's <gasps> writing. Right, is that you want you need to somehow in page proof, you then see everything, everything that you would change. Right. And so the successful, you, you want to know what a successful writer is, is somebody who can let it go yeah. once it's out the door. It's like, I, I think like an adult child or mm -hmm. something. It's like, honey, I did my bit. Yes. And now you have to cross the street by yourself. Yeah. So you <laughs> have to cross by yourself and it's it's hilarious and you have to let it go and then make sure you know it looks both ways and it makes it to the <laughs> other side of the street right. which is to the reader who will appreciate it i love that all right uh lastly three things i ask uh one uh coffee or tea it's, there's a hard line on this and i'm, I'm just always curious i drink a ton of coffee mostly <laughs> person i don't do coffee i'm a hundred percent a tea person tea? i'll just a good cup of Earl Grey. See, so and this is why you don't meet the queen. It's <laughs> 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 Absolutely. I could see you're doing that. And I'm coffee. Yeah. I, I, it took me time 
over my lifetime. I now drink it black. I used to do the half and half. Mm. I used to do the sugar. I used to do that. And now just get me. And again, when I invite the students in or if I meet somebody for coffee, I just, it's like black coffee flavored coffee. I can't stand (laughs) flavored coffee. That's something that I I think sign of the disintegration of civilized society mm. it's like do you want like an almond hazelnut black no i want it to taste like coffee that's like putting flavored like bubble gum flavored vodka it's like honey <laughs> you need that you're not holding drink it's like no take the flavors give us what we have mm. so i <laughs> there is a hard line. very passionate yeah thank <laughs> you I, I'm on Team Gina on this, black coffee. It was an evolution to get to the point. Now it's just intravenous. <laughs> All right. Um, one quote, motto, song, what gets you going each day? What's your internal something? What do you got? I, I well, actually, that I, I used to write it on like every whiteboard space in my dorm. Um, but there's a quote by Mary Oliver. Um, it is a very serious thing just to be alive on this fresh morning in the broken world. And honestly, right now in quarantine, that's been what's getting me through. Just that, like, no matter how bad things are, you woke up today. You can pretty much get through anything. Like, the world is fixing itself, breaking itself over. Hopefully something good comes out of it. But, like, at the very least, you're awake, you're alive, you can move through it. I just always really like that. That's quote. lovely. Yeah. I, I love that. No, it's beautiful. No. And that's a that's a wonderful <laughs> young person. Oh. My inspirational song is She Works Hard for the Money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. That's why it's good to have young people in your life and <laughs> for the money. You know, that's I'm sorry, but that's that gets me. I don't have a I have a deadline and a paycheck. Yeah. That's what that motivate you like nothing else. Exactly. Nothing so else. that's the um, you know, that's that's the working writer, but that's why I need young people in my life. And we do have our man and oh, yeah. we are safe, so we are we are doing it. It is not but we are we are confident and well and we want everybody else. and we hope we make, you seem like you're laughing, Dave, so I hope we're doing a good job. I'm loving this conversation. This is this I feel like I'm just in your office hanging out again, which is really nice. I appreciate it. Um, and, and, and lastly, just one piece of advice, tip for, you know, everybody listening. Um, what, what, what do you think? What's your, what's your takeaway? My, my thing is that you really, as, as Nicole suggested when she was talking to her younger self, you have to write everything down because otherwise it will go away. Yeah. It is not no book, no poem, no uh, piece of work, no comedy routine ever came from a big idea. Right. It came yeah. from overheard conversation it came from one particular feeling it came from something you saw and you have to get it down it won't be like i'll remember this later you have to capture it right like you have you know and you can't let it go and it has to be that particular thing so it's not the feeling right that you want to some get some large expression of you have to go i was alone in that room and the blinds were closed and I didn't know how I was gonna make it through the rest of the day, as opposed to some people in the world have a sense of alienation from others. That no one is gonna read. Right. The idea of is like, I didn't know whether to go for a walk, 
you know, have a drink, go to sleep or throw myself out the window, but I'd have to open right. the blinds to do that. You know, whatever that is, you have to put somebody in that moment with you to make them get it. So you have to write, I have, I have literally, as anybody who's been in my office mm -hmm. knows, pieces of paper everywhere with tiny things written down on so my them. Desk too. Yeah, and, yeah, and that's it. So it's capturing that thing. It's not having a big idea. Every idea starts from a couple of words. It's magic. It's alchemy. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I follow that exact same advice. And I've kind of had to learn over the years that like, I me to just myself, like I promise the weird looks you're going to get for pulling out a pad of sticky notes or your phone or talking. <laughs> whatever to get that idea down is not going to matter right. three hours later when you're kicking yourself because now you can't remember now that you're in front of a computer. It's just one of those things where it's just like, you just have to keep writing. It's like, no matter what, yeah. even if you think you don't have any ideas, just write something down and eventually something will come. You can you. always throw it away, right. but you can't, yeah. you can't recreate. I love that. All right. Well, uh, be sure to check out fast, funny women available, uh, October, 2020 in paperback, ebook, and audiobook being published by Tantor Media. Uh, yeah. If you have any questions, uh, feel free to email me at david at woodhallpress.com. And thank you both, Gina and Nicole. This was, I love this. This is great. Okay. This is again. Come in, we'll do this again. Close the uh, publication date. Yeah. Bye, All right. Bye. All right. See you guys. Bye. Yeah.